0: Hello and welcome to a collaborative bonus episode 51 of the MedTech podcast. You join me, your host, Karandeep Singh Badwar, and on this episode we have Rodney Moses of the MedTech 101 podcast. In this captivating bonus episode, we embark on an exploration of our individual backgrounds and the fascinating paths that led us to our present achievements. Join us as we discuss the exciting possibilities of in-person podcast recordings, delve into the current regulatory landscape, and into Rodney's thrilling globe-trotting adventures.
1: First of all, I have to say that uh, uh, today uh, it's a co-joint episode with uh, Karen Deb Singh. But wow, is and I hope I'm pronouncing your correct your name correctly. Perfect first time, Rodney. <laughs> perfect <laughs> uh who's uh you know you have this you have the med tech podcast which is uh one of the podcasts that i actually listened to as well before before i, I started my own but um for me it was a, a, a journey that i took to get to this point so um so when you i when, when i managed to get hold of you and i was i was i was pretty excited and uh i i you know you you're, you're a nice guy. You gave me that intro call. We had an intro call and we spoke and yeah. And then we decided to, to, to do an episode, uh, together, which is more, more like an open floor episode, really where we're just discussing stuff. So yeah. So welcome. <laughs> Pleasure being on. So yeah. So today we're going to just be talking about, um, well, firstly, like your background. Um, uh, I know you, you, you started. Uh, pharmaceutical sciences as you said and then you ended up in quality and then and so you, you sorry you ended up in sort of like regulatory affairs and then you went from there to being a consultant in a sort of like a um, quick way to say it and it's quite impressive you know so yeah could you what would you say about yourself that i've missed because i'm sure there's a lot that you could say which are, which i'm probably probably not able to cover entirely
0: <laughs> yeah definitely and i, I think uh, like with many students who go to university they're never 100 sure which direction they want to go to they may have some idea which field or where they want to go but they're never truly sure what they want to do with their lives you know there's a small minority out there who say that this is what I want to do. And they go out there and they do it. And you know what I say to them? God bless them. Perfect. You've got it. But majority of people are not 100% sure what they want to do. And for me, I was one of those guys. So when I was at university at my bachelor's degree, we were doing like some projects. We were pretending to do like MHRA recalls. And I was like, you know, this quality and regulatory stuff sounds quite interesting. You know, let, let's give this a go. And then when I finished my bachelor's, I was like, you know, what? I, I don't know if I'm ready to hit the working world right yet. So then I went on to do a master's within pharmaceutical quality, and it sort of built that quality side of me. And again, just like many students, when you come out of university, you know, you take the first job that's given to you. So it just so happened to be a medical devices OEM manufacturer called Owen Mumford, where I was actually working on the production line, physically building the components of the medical devices and doing physical quality checks. And it just kind of trickled on from there, effectively. And then from there on, I went to St. Jude Medical, and then St. Jude Medical ended up being bought out by Abbott Medical, and I was working with the regulatory, a specialist position. And then in around 2018, I decided to set up my own medical devices consultancy. And I did something that I really do not recommend other people do because it will take over your life, which is work full time <laughs> and run a consultancy partner. Because I wasn't sure, you know, some people go into consultancy, but I wanted to be 100% sure, you know, is consultancy the path for me? Is this something that I really, really want to do? And that was my way to do it. And then when 2020 hit, the consultancy work was almost like 30 hours a week. And then I was doing full-time 40 hours a week. And then as you can imagine, it starts taking an impact on you. And then I said, you know what, maybe I need to go full-time at a consultancy. And I decided to leave my full-time job and then take it from there. So yeah, the journey has definitely been ups and downs, but I don't regret it. I'm very happy to be in the position that I'm in today. Of course, there were regrets on the way. And then I was sometimes thinking about, oh, you know, do I really want to do this? But I'm very happy to be in the position that I'm in today and the way that it's worked out.
1: No, that's really good. I think it's quite, uh, inspiring. Well, for me, especially because it took like an unorthodox route, I would say. You know, you will never get a textbook that will tell you to do exactly what you have done. And I think it has helped you, um, to create this uh, sort of like journey, which has made you quite a, a valuable person, uh, because now you got a podcast and I realized you just recently released your episode 50. So I don't know if you're throwing some sort of like um um party for that or opening a few bottles for your fiftieth episode, but I think it's something that's a milestone because I think you know getting that first step is quite hard, you know what I mean um but once you have that first episode out there, then it becomes easier but before I even start talking about the podcast, I'm also going to just you know uh introduce myself as well to, uh for your audience as well so i and unlike um Unlike most people, I was quite fortunate because when I was like 15 or 16, when I was in high school, I I knew that I wanted to do biomedical engineering, but it was weird at the time because most people had never heard of biomedical engineering. They just thought like, what kind of a job is this, you know? So, um, what I did was because I was going to high school in South Africa at the time I, I, and the universities, there weren't even offering the degree. So I knew it was time for me to sort of like, you know, leave the nest and, Fly a long way away from home to come and sort of pursue this career that I wanted to do. So I decided to fly to England. Uh, I mean, I'd been in England on a scholarship here from an exchange year that I'd done here, um, which was which I mentioned earlier, which was sponsored by Richard Branson. And at the time, I didn't even know who he was uh, until I got to England. I realized he's actually quite a popular person. Um, So, I mean. What, so when I came back here for university, I went to university in Nottingham I studied by a medical engineer and that's when I started it in uh, and and this was around 2017. so I was quite happy and uh, after like two years in university uh I was quite fortunate to get a placement here at Parksman uh, which is a company based in Huddersfield that make a, a medical device that prevents hair loss from chemotherapy and was when I started working there, I sort of happened to work at the company at the right time. So I then started working in R&D. So all my career I've worked in R&D, but this one was quite special because I was now given the chance to work on a brand new medical device that we're in the process of inventing, but it was just a concept and nothing had actually been built built at the point in time. So my job was to then, you know, uh, um, design the operating system which is basically the operating software for that uh medical device. And I worked on this for about a year. I was an intern, not doing intern work, uh and but my salary was an intern pay, which is still okay because was you know I was so grateful to be there getting the opportunity to work on it. So that lasted about a year, finished that, went back to university and I graduated. And after I graduated I was um lucky I started working for J and J, uh Johnson and Johnson. But this time I was working on the MDR uh, sort of like team, uh, but also sort of like working on the MDR, which basically stands for medical device regulation, which companies have been having to work through here. Uh, but I was doing that from a R and d point of view. So I'd be looking at documents for design control there. So I did that for about a year and, and a half nearly. And then um uh, this year I recently moved to... Uh, Reciform, which is a Swedish pharmaceutical company. And I'm still working in R and D, but now I, uh, I work with asthma inhalers and sort of like drug delivery devices. Um, and that's when I started, that's when I decided to start, um, you know, Matic 101 podcast in, in April. And I've been a bit like a machine, but I'll probably slow down a little bit as I, as I get bigger because I've been publishing nearly one episode per week on average which consumes a lot of my life as well so 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 yeah but um um then going to the podcast part like what made you start yours uh because you know i i think yours is I, you, put, you got a lot of following, like several thousands and several thousand followers on LinkedIn and all, all over the place. And, and from what you told me earlier, you know, the concerts, you're not the concerts, but the conferences you're attending, uh you know, like you, you, you're getting there, you widen your network and stuff like that. And you bring some really big guys as well in your podcast. So I wonder what was the journey for you getting to that podcast in 2021 when you started?
0: Bonnie, I'm a pleasure you brought this up because no one's ever asked me this in a public domain. So this is the way this is where I'm <laughs> going to be providing the real answer. When I was at university, I always wanted to start a entrepreneurship or business podcast. But as a young student with my studies uh taking over, I never knew how to do it and I never really had the time to invest in it. So then what happened was around 2021, I realized that I had quite a big network on LinkedIn full of interesting people that I would meet at conferences or speak to offline. And they had really interesting stories that could benefit other people that people could learn from, but they were not doing it in a public domain. So one day I just decided you know, I'm just going to start a podcast. Let's see what happens. You know, if maybe it's just a few episodes. If it doesn't work out fine, I can always shut it down. Right. Cause I realized there was so many interesting people in my network And then here we are, Rodney, as you've just mentioned, I've just released episode 50 today. So, you know, it's worked out really well. And for me, it was just, it's a great way for me to learn what's happening in the industry, because regardless of what you're interested in, you know, what would take you many hours of Googling, if you had an expert in front of you, you can probably learn in 30 minutes. And that's exactly what I do with the podcast. I ask them the questions and the pleasure that I have with the podcast is on the public domain. So other people can benefit from that person's knowledge. And then of course, it's also the networking. I get to meet people that I otherwise would never meet through my everyday work or my everyday life. So it's just a great way to meet other people that otherwise would never meet. So yeah, that's the real reason why I started the podcast. And for me, it's a hobby. And then as you know, Rodney, you probably don't make money from this. I don't make money from the podcast, but of course, the knowledge we gain from it is the true value of it. That's the real, the knowledge that we gain and what we can share with other people is what makes it valuable.
1: True. Now, I'm really happy to hear that, you know, I, I, uh, you know, I've always thought you, well, I've always thought your business argument is quite high, you know, because most people would just see it as, you know, um, as an extra job they have to do. I mean, both of us studied STEM subjects and by, you know, STEM subjects, I'm talking about, uh, um, science, technology, engineering, math subjects. So, they don't teach and they don't teach anything about media communication there. So I guess for you as well, you've had to learn each thing bit by bit as you've been working on this journey. And is that being comfortable for you or not? Or I wonder how it's been for you because, uh, for me, it's been a, a steep learning curve that I've had to do, but, uh, I don't know how have you found that, you know, sort of like working in media, but you've got a science background.
0: <laughs> it's quite interesting. So many people don't realize this. Uh, my father was very much into computers from a young age. So my father is a mechanic and he was in his own garage and he's always tinkering with cars. And I remember from a young age that he was always buying computers and putting these components in them. It's like, dad, you know, what, what is this? Thing? And he'd be teaching me little things about technology. And it's like, look, whatever it is, make sure you tinker with it, you know, make sure it's pinned perfect. So from a young age, I've always had this thing that whatever you have in front of you in terms of technology, don't be afraid to go inside and explore what it actually is. You know, how does it work? What are the components? And then that's always been integral to my life that no matter what I do, I always one of know the ins and outs of it, whether that's something like gardening, you know, why does a plant grow this certain way? How do you make this plant grow? What are the nutrients that you put into it? It's always questions that I've always asked. So yes, it was something that I embarked on, but I very much enjoyed it. I knew nothing about media, but then I asked myself every single question. How do I make sound better? <laughs> what is the software that I can use? What makes a great podcast? And then for me, it was just like discovering something new. And it's almost like a child when a child is exposed to like a new hobby or a new sport. You just want to know everything about it. Like if you get a child and you put them into football, like, okay, how do we score in football? What are the rules? and What do the different team players do? So for me, it was a very, it was hard, but it was also something very enjoyable and something nice. that I got to learn basically.
1: No, I'm really happy to hear that. Uh, for me, I think it was more of a thing of like, I, I, because I like medical devices but i felt like i wasn't covering the whole scope of all the medical devices so i was trying to learn about as many medical devices as i possibly could and over my over my time at university during those four years i learned quite a a lot but i still feel i still felt that there was more out there so so out of this curiosity i just started reading a lot you know about things that are happening whether it's an economics book or something and sort of try to make it relevant to medical technology so uh so the way i run my podcast is a is a little bit different uh because there's some episodes i do by myself because what i do is all the information i get from the books i'm reading you know and stuff i i tend to write an essay um well i started writing essays now because before that it would be something that i would just go to my friends and share with them but i realized why can't i do this for a bigger audience so what I do now, if if I've got a topic which I really want to discuss, with my eyes from what I'm seeing on the inside of the industry, you know, trying to also inform other people out there. First of all, I try to remove all the jargon. I try to use basic words, you know, just so that even a five year old could understand. And uh, then I write, I write the essay, and then I turn that into a script. So, um, so I did this for the first like six episodes, um and uh, afterwards i was like okay let me see if i can reach out to other people to try to get them onto the podcast because at that point I, i felt like i didn't really know a lot of people so i so i wanted to create a podcast running by myself to sort of like prove the concept to them but then i realized there's some areas even if i read i would not know entirely so for those kind of things i tried to bring them on so that's that was the journey for me sort of like starting the podcast so um then i I for me, it was a huge step because I said you know i I work in r and d you know like most r and d engineers you're in the back office. It's not a client facing job, so in most cases, you don't have to talk to anyone besides the guy who you sit next to, like you know nine to five every single day so so this this was also something that was like a new step for me I mean I've always enjoyed you know like public speaking if I get the opportunity. But in R&D, you're not going to get many of those. So, um, uh, and this was also an opportunity for me to grow, uh, as well. So I, I, I like the fact that you say that it also opens a network, like a networking factor to it. And for, as we both discussed that we don't make money out of this, you know, we, I think at some point we all wish we had a $200 million contract with Spotify, like Joe Rogan, but, uh, you know we ha- we have to work our way there or um but for now it's mostly r- run out of the love of it and uh, it's it's really interesting the the people you t- you, t- you tend to meet the people you end up meeting and um and one thing i really loved is that you know these people who you meet sometimes end up teaching you something that's really valuable like from the conversation we had last time you know i learned so much there and I just want to take this opportunity to say it right here because, like, when we discussed and you told me, like, you know, uh, like about, you know, uh, the, your mindset, how you see the world and stuff like that, I, I felt inspired afterwards. I was like, you know what? Uh, Karen told me this. I, I need to, I need to level up. You know, I need to level up on something. I need to work on something. So, so yeah. So I guess, and that's one thing I like. And that's the reason why, uh, MedTech 101, uh, exists today. So uh yes it's not hundred percent um uh perfect but it's get it's gotten a lot better. Well because there's some episodes I don't release and I feel like okay that wasn't good and I keep it to myself. But there's also other episodes now which I uh I, I release and I you know the feedback has been quite uh, quite nice. There's some people have reached out on LinkedIn, you know, connect with me. You know people have said they want to get on the pod. And there's been cases where I didn't even have enough equipment. You know, I was like the, pe- the I, people who said they wanted to get on the podcast, and I didn't even have two microphones. So I had to, you know, quickly dash and you know grab a second microphone, uh, get a mixer, learn how to use it, so I can start accommodating these people. So that that has also expanded my um, my audience. And out of curiosity, do you do any in person interviews? Out of the fifty you've done, have any been in person?
0: Not on my own platform. I have been on other podcasts, webinars, conferences, which have been recorded live, whether that be a panel session, et cetera. But nice. I've not done it with my own personal podcast at this moment in time. I wouldn't rule it out. It may happen in the future. And <laughs> yes. you may be one of those people. So of course. You know, let's, let's work this up.
1: <laughs> Definitely. Yeah. I think um the 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 in-person ones, I, I did one, uh, and that was the first, well, that was the second interview that I had done. And I found the in person ones to be how do I say um to have a bit more um well technical difficulty that comes with it because not only do you have to set the microphone and make sure that everything is okay, if you're gonna bring that with the camera you need you need to set up the cameras in such a way that you know you're having these angle shots and stuff and and, and, and yeah, so hopefully that's something that's going to be, 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 coming from your podcast because um am in every time you release an episode, I'm always looking, uh, which, which guest is this? And, and, and I'm, and, uh, I'm sure you've got a lot of guests, uh, uh, lined up, uh, for, for people to, to hear. So, so yeah, if, if guys, if you want to hear good podcasts, like go check out Karen's podcast, Karen Depp Singh was this two podcasts called the MedTech podcast. I don't know if you noticed, uh, Karen Depp. So
0: Yeah, there's another guy yeah. called Ash based in London. He's actually yes. reached out to me and then we are planning on doing an episode <laughs> sometime soon in the future. Yes. So I realize there's like
1: two names I'm like, uh but Karen's one's got a, got a uh a purple um uh sort of like a header or or logo. It's got my face on there, so exactly. that's how you spot it. <laughs> <laughs> That's everything you need to know And and Ash, and I also listened to one episode uh, from, from Ash Because I think he's, he's studying medicine in Nottingham So I've listened to one of his episodes as well So he seems like a really nice, chilled guy as well So that'll be nice, I'll be looking forward to that as well <laughs> But um, but then, other than this I also wanted to take this chance, you know to uh, To ask you a question Because I know, like, you know as a consultant, um, and a man of many jobs, you know, consultant, um, like, a, a, uh, I would also say a podcaster. And, and from what I hear, you're also quite good with, you know, your hands in terms of getting cars to perform the way you want them to. So you're a man of many talents, but I wanted to give you this chance to also then just describe, you know, what's been happening right now in, uh, you know, in MDR, because I understand that's your focus right now in terms of helping American companies
0: uh get an understanding into European markets or? Yeah, effectively. So how it used to work in the past is that medical device companies will come to Europe, do their innovation here, and then go to U.S. afterwards. What's happened now with the EU MDR is the backlogs. That's due to lack of notified bodies, uh, lack of resources, etc. where companies are now thinking, you know what? We want to go US first and then come to the EU. So the dynamic has flipped. Now, recently, what's come out is due to this situation, there has been an extension that has come in. So for companies that are currently MDD certified, there is an extension in place that allows them to keep that certificate until 31st of December, 2027 or 2028, depending on the classification of the device. Now, for them to be eligible for that, by the 26th of May, 2024, the manufacturer needs to have in place a quality management system in accordance to article 10, nine of the EU MDR, I must have lodged a formal application with a notified body. Then by 26th of September, 2024, they must have had a signed written agreement with that particular notified body in place. And then they can go for that deadline. Sadly, nice. what's happened with companies, they just go, oh, we don't have to have MDR till 2027, they're going to sit back and relax. But they don't <laughs> realize there's, there's work involved in that. And then anyone who's like myself or yourself who works in medical devices, Trying to get a hold of a notified body is an art in itself. It takes so long. And like today, today is the 28th of June, 2023. My yes. argument would be if you haven't got a notified body, start today. That's the <laughs> only way you're going to get it in time by 26th of May, 2024, guaranteed. So yes. it's not really an extension. It's just a bit of breathing room saying, Hey, look, we understand you're going to get a notified body in time. We're going to let you have a little bit of breathing room, but get your stuff in order. That's basically what this means.
1: Well, and uh because when I was working at uh J and J, uh working on the MDR <laughs> uh team and stuff, we had the pressure to try to get it done by May of this year. So in theory, M D R should have been complete. But it I understand a lot of companies were behind it. Most people were worried that they'll not be able to sell their products. And, you know, some of them were even thinking of either just picking up the whole factory and company and putting it into Europe so they can try to avoid some of the additional regulations or regulatory affairs requirements they had to meet. So the extension, I think, has come as well as a bit of relief on most of these guys. But I think it's nice what you say that it's important that they still have to understand that there's deadlines that are next year that they have to meet for them to have you know that sort of like deadline in 2027 as they think because i won't lie to you when i saw that i was like okay cool nice i was also like them oh another three years another four years this is good but uh, i guess uh, it's 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 really important that you say that and uh, but but why do you think as well that it takes so long is it because there's notified bodies are swamped with work or what exactly is happening because from my understanding the guys at the you know bsi which is the british standards institute which is a notified body one of the notified bodies in england the salaries are pretty good there so what exactly is happening in the background what's making them
0: take so long (laughs) so if you work at a notified body you need to have technical expertise in the particular device that you're working with Now, if it's something like a pacemaker, defibrillator, these things have been around for decades, possibly hundreds of years. So there's plenty of people that can do something like that. So the backlog is also affected by the types of devices that you're working with. Now, if you look at the concept of software medical device, it's a very small minority that have experience in that field. So number one, it depends on the type of device that you have. Number two, of course, is that what's happened is the amount of notified bodies has dropped. So under the old MDD, I don't remember the exact number, there were multiple notified bodies who said, you know what? This EUMDR stuff is too much for us. We want to drop out of it. And one good example of that was LRQA. Um, sorry, if I pronounced it correctly. I think it was, yeah, Lloyd's Register, effectively, who dropped yeah. out. So what's happened is they're now less notified bodies and more <laughs> medical devices, which, as a course, caused a bottleneck. And then, of course, generally with notified bodies is if there is somebody who's a technical assessor, they generally are required to have two years' experience within that particular field. So, yes, people are being trained. People are bringing in. It's just a combination of... A lot of medical devices and not enough expertise within notified bodies to be able to assess for them. Now, what notified bodies actually doing to get around that is they're hiring contractors and consultants like myself to have bridge that gap. And nice. again, the demand is so high, there's only so much that they can do. Now, over time, of course, that demand will sort of fizzle out and it will smooth out. But for now, there's far more demand than there is actually supply yes. in terms of notified bodies.
1: True. Because also one thing I've noticed, one thing you mentioned right now, uh, in addition to that demand... One key point you, you say that really kind of interested me was, you know, for someone to work in this sort of regulatory roles, they have to have the technical expertise and we have new technology coming through for med tech, you know, like the nanotech, you know, in terms of the applications of nanomedicine, which is also, which, which is new right now. People are pushing for this sort of like AI getting into med tech, which is something else that's going to take long. So, it's like essentially you're saying that for someone to be able to police this technology, they have to understand it, which makes sense because in some cases they don't, and I think that's what makes it take longer because they have to wait for someone with the expertise, um, and they have to work around that person. So, yeah, it's it's, it's for me I always see this as a good thing. It's it's a good problem to have, you know, because on the other hand you could have no development going at all, and then we we'll or have bad devices and the or old devices on the market, but this in this case it also shows the rapid development that's happening in MATIC, uh, which which is something that I really like because obviously I'm an engineer, so I will have a bias. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so no, that's that's good. Um, and uh, just out of curiosity, for those companies that are sort of like you know stuck in like somewhere in the middle, you know they the M- the MDR process is not quite there yet and. Um, they, they, they don't really know if they're going to make it or not. Is there anything you could say to, to those guys who find themselves in that position?
0: Start talking to the notified bodies immediately because what I'm finding with a lot of these companies go, going, no, we want to get our technical files in order. I'm like, guys, it's probably going to take you up to a year just to get the audit dates right. So you need to start the conversation today. And there's nothing wrong with saying to yeah. a notified body, hey, you know, our tech files are not going to be in order six months, nine months from now. Get that contract in place, and then you can make benefit of that extension that's coming. So that's number one. Of we'll course, start the conversation today with Notified bodies. Yes. Number two, hire the correct expertise, whether that's consultants or a permanent person in your company. You want to do it first time right. There's no point just throwing a technical file and just hoping that it goes through, and then you're going through rounds, and it potentially may get rejected. Try to do it first time right and put the adequate resources on there as well. Number three, of course, is you can explore another market. So a lot of people are saying, Oh yeah, go US first. Okay, great. You may go faster on the US market. But look at it from a health economics perspective. The demands in the US market are completely different. The healthcare system is different. The reimbursement is different. They run an insurance based system, whereas in UK and Europe it's more of a state based system. So generally faster is not always better. So that's Makes what sense. companies need to consider. I think you
1: can even say that again because um for, and one of the reasons we said uh, the reason why things are expensive in the U S sometimes compared to the UK is potentially due to the number of middlemen between the manufacturer of the uh, device and the patient, which, which then also then increases the price because everyone will be taking a certain cut for themselves, uh, which is, which is as you'd expect. So, um so yeah i guess that's 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 the question i had uh, for you uh today just to showcase you know your knowledge as well to my audience because i think it's very valuable things that you say but
0: uh, I'll, I'll give you the chances well now to also ask me some questions <laughs> rodney you amaze me at how much you've traveled the world you've been to south africa you've even been to my homeland of punjab in india and you went to the golden temple in amritsar <laughs> which is not very far from where my ancestors are from and now you're living in the uk how do you travel? How, I know it's work related, but how have you been able to travel so much around the world and what challenges have you faced?
1: Well, to to, to start off, I think, um, well, sometimes I, well, I always like to make this joke with people that sometimes you don't choose a certain life. A certain life kind of chooses you because for me, I. Even the way I started going to school I was born in Zimbabwe Um Lived there until I was 10 And I started going to school in South Africa And the way I went to school in South Africa Was actually by accident It wasn't planned I was supposed to have just gone to To South Africa for a summer holiday And then get back to Zimbabwe and study But I went for one summer holiday And I ended up You know, just getting enrolled in the local school Because at the time there was like strikes Happening in Zimbabwe and riots and stuff So so, because of this, I think a part of me has always been always kind of like open minded. I've always wanted to explore different cultures and stuff. So, um, whenever I got the opportunity to, to, to go anywhere, I would say yes. So, uh, when I when and the story of how I went to India was in university, they did, they have this what they call like summer scholarships, you know, like in the summer, maybe you go, you can go to a certain country for, uh, For a a few weeks or a month, or some people even go for a year and you just learn, then you you get back, you continue your studies. So for me, it was the um, Easter holiday of 2018. uh, And uh, like this opportunity came up and I I applied and you know, I wasn't even worried. I was just like, let me go. And we went to Chandigarh as well. We spent most of the time in Chandigarh because I was going to, I went to the University of Punjab for about three weeks and it was you know it was amazing it was something new so so a part of me has always have had this attitude to say you know what I, I i'm gonna live my life in the present because when i used to speak to some of my friends in university you know are you planning to do any trips or should we go somewhere they would be like nah you know i'll do it later after i finish university but we know what happened when we finished university. Covid happened. You know, we, we we my my age group is one of the people that graduated in in the middle of the pandemic, and there were no jobs to be found. You know, most people had to move back home with their parents. So, but prior to that, prior to Covid, I got into a point where I was averaging about ten countries per year. Because when I was in university, when I saw that I didn't have a lecture on Monday. And Friday, I saw that as a potential trip. Literally, that's how I was thinking. I was like, okay, you know what? I, I need a visa for most of these countries. So to be able to do like, I think roughly I've done nearly 33 or 34 countries. I have to count with the Zimbabwean passport, which means I need to get a visa every single time. I, I, I go somewhere, which is annoying, but I, I try to maximize that. So I guess that's, that's been my approach really to, to life, to just try to live in the moment, you know, when you have the opportunity to do something, you do it right there. And most of the, most of the traveling I've done actually has not been because of work. The only, the only work trip I've done was a trip from, um, Haddersfield to Conventry. That's the only work trip I've done because in R&D, You're not gonna get work trips it's not a sales job you're stuck in the office you know in the labs wherever just focusing on building that device uh so then i make it up to myself that you know uh when i when there's a long weekend what trip can i do there can can i do a city break in 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 paris and you and you'd be surprised how like how um cheap it is especially in europe to to plan these things but then Outside of that, I've also been quite lucky because I've also traveled quite a fair amount with the Boy Scouts because I joined Scouts when I was like 10, you know, doing the camps and, you know, selling cookies, fundraising, all that kind of stuff, which I really love. I love outdoor stuff. And uh, actually in three weeks time, I'm going to be at the World Scout Jamboree in Korea. So I'm going to Korea for like three weeks, just, you know, going to be camping. And just to clarify, uh, it's South Korea, not North Korea, because everyone keeps asking me, is it South or North? Maybe I should start saying it's the North, but you know, I know that joke won't age well. So, so yeah, but, uh, yes, yeah, so it's also that opportunity to just, you know, joining, um, uh, clubs, you know, doing things that make you meet people, because even right now with this podcast, there's some people who want to do it in person. So now I, I, I have to start thinking, okay, I'm going to have to go to their offices or somewhere, but it means that you start seeing new parts of the country, which otherwise you wouldn't have gone to. So I'll just say to anyone who wants, who's watching this right now and they're thinking, oh no, it's too expensive and whatever. I would say for Europe, you can literally do Europe without spending a lot. If you just plan it well, you've got low cost airlines, three star hotels in Europe are fine. maybe three-star hotels in some continents i wouldn't trust but in europe you would be okay so um but essentially you you need a place that's clean where you leave your bags where it's safe so i wouldn't say no go stay in hostels because that's not what i've done but um yeah so get out there meet more people uh, join a club you know start something that You know, pushes you out of your comfort zone because it's easy to say you want to stay in this small town or big city you're used to and not explore other destinations. But one thing I like about traveling is that every time I go to a different country, it's a different language. I don't speak it at all. You know, I, 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 the only, the only European language I speak is English. So, but I have to navigate that new terrain you know you have to it's like it activates some sort of like new genetics in you you know so you discover something about yourself like okay you know you can deal with different cultures different changes pretty well so so that's what i would say and that's that's how it has happened really in terms of to give you a full explained detailed answers to how i've traveled and why i can't stop now
0: <laughs> no definitely i agree with you it's kind of just go there and do it you know, yeah. stop sitting there, stop planning, stop thinking. Just sometimes you just have to get up off your chair and just go and do it, take the risk, and then somehow it works out.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's it's and I would say it's even super easy before you have, you know, a lot of responsibilities and stuff. But again, even when you have those responsibilities in your life, um, in this country, I think every worker is entitled to about twenty-five days off per year. And I know some people still can't finish all of those days. They can't use all of those days. You know, most people don't even explore, you know, uh, the UK alone and or what, or whatever country they're in alone. Because even if you just tr- focused on trying to maximize the, the country you're in, you'd be surprised. You know, um, I was literally surprised a few weeks ago, uh, because right now I live close to Cambridge in Norfolk. I, I drove to one, um, Beach here on the Or coast And I was surprised, I was like, this is so beautiful I felt like I was in a different country And I was like, and I've never seen this on any blog Or anything, so sometimes you find those hidden Gems really close to you Without having to travel really far Away, so I guess it's just having That attitude of saying, you know what You want to see more places, you want To to go and explore More cultures and meet more people And yeah, you, you it, it definitely
0: Makes you grow in a particular way yeah, I completely agree with that. Every time I've traveled, I've always come back uh richer. And I don't mean richer in terms of finances. I mean, in terms of <laughs> knowledge Yes. and what I've learned about the world. And then you quickly learn that all humans are the same. We yes. all have similar problems and things. And the differences between us are so little. <laughs> and you realize that when you travel.
1: Yeah. And one more thing, really. I know you mentioned that you hadn't uh, taken a holiday for about 10 years sort of like working and just you not know, doing things that you're doing like how did you feel when you took that holiday last in, last year in december to jamaica which is you know quite sunny in the middle of the winter how, how how was that
0: for you you know it did feel strange of course uh that yes. i didn't have my laptop with me i had my phone with me so i was checking <laughs> emails but i did go late december so it was around the christmas period and works a little bit more quiet and things But it was just nice to just focus on what's in front of me because when you're an entrepreneur, you run a business or you're a consultant, you're constantly thinking about work. It was one of very few opportunities that I had. I could just focus on what was in front of me. I could just explore the beauty of Jamaica, the people, the food and things like that. It was just nice to just go into that. And I'm glad I took that trip because when you go and visit a different culture, you learn lessons about life and you can come back and you can bring that. And the one thing you know about the Jamaican people is they're not necessarily the most prosperous or the richest. But one thing you quickly realize when you walk around the company, everyone had a smile on their face. Nice. That's one thing you realize. They could be really, really poor, but they had a smile on their face and they always found a way to enjoy themselves. And that's one thing that you quickly learn about Jamaican people that whatever they have, they make do with what they have. So it just makes you realize, you know, that they've got far less resources than we probably have in the Western world, but somehow yes. they're happier than us. So this they're doing <laughs> something right. <laughs> true true and uh no
1: that's really good and uh i think it also reminds me of just you know like how uh, how how i was growing up you know the because in zimbabwe sometimes you know was with the scouts and stuff i got to you know go to different places in the country and we used to just play games like in the mud and stuff like that not to say that we don't have anything else there but um it's just you know People aren't as driven on work You know, uh, one of my mates came To visit me this weekend And uh, he was asking me Like, is the work more stringent In Zimbabwe or in the UK And and I told him You know, first of all, I'm grateful, you know, to be here The reason why I'm here is for my career Because obviously I left my family Behind and everything like that to try And, you know, and get my career going Which I've been quite fortunate That it, it's been working out Um Okay and, uh, but the, the thing is in these countries, like on the weekends, for instance, in Zimbabwe, if you took your, if you took some money to the bank on a Friday afternoon and you want to do a bank transfer, they'll tell you, yeah, it's fine. We can take your papers, but we're not going to submit this on Monday because on the weekend, the whole country slows down. So you find that in these countries where maybe people aren't as driven in terms of trying to get as max the maximum profits possible which I probably blame for why we're developing a lot slower. But it also means that people have also been able to then invest some time into, you know, their families, you know, uh, their health. Because on weekends in South Africa, when I was growing up in South Africa, you knew every weekend there would be like a barbecue somewhere. So, you know, like, and as us, we used to call it a braai in South Africa. We call, it, we call them brais. We don't call them barbecues. as the uh, bread do. So uh, this also then just showed the different uh, sort of like, you know, what life means, you know, for people in different places. Whereas here, we it's, here people still take summer off. There's still festivals and everything, but, you know, you, we, we have more bills to pay here. You've got council tax, you've got, you know, all this kind of insurances you have to pay for and stuff. And, but the opportunities are, are, are great to hear. So I'm also grateful for that opportunity, you know, to, to, to be able to work on something and uh, be able to contribute, um, essentially to other people's lives. So, um and yeah so just you know looking at the time and everything i was just also going to take this opportunity to ask you you know like since you do a lot of things like what motivates you you know just like an odd question like you know what motivates you what keeps you going because i don't know how many hours per week you're working but i know it's not 40 hours a week so (laughs) what what's your why and how
0: do you feel satisfied you know my grandfather came to this country as a first-generation immigrant. He would work 12-hour shifts, seven days a week, and he would have to share a bed with somebody just to pay his rent. So one guy would do the day shift and one guy would do the night shift. And somehow, within 15 years, he owned a property and he was living good and he managed to retire by the age of 60. What what excuse do I have that a guy can come here and not know the language, do this and just work so hard? And I have so many opportunities around me to build this. But it's not just that, even with like the podcast and the videos, I enjoy helping other people. It's like a form of charity to me. When people think yes. of charity, they just think that, oh, I donate X amount. But charity is in many different forms, it could be just me phoning a friend who's feeling depressed and making them feel better. It could just be speaking to somebody on the street, you know, charity is in many different forms. And I think that's what humanity is about. If you're doing something that's making the world a better place, that in itself is a deeper sense of satisfaction than just go out and making X amount of money. So that's really what keeps me motivated is. The medtech industry is helping other human beings. I'm helping, I'm playing a part, putting medical devices out there that are helping people live longer, helping people live with certain conditions. And that is putting a smile on other people's faces. They then project that smile on the rest of the world. And then more people are smiling and a more positive world. And it just makes the place a better place. Well, better place to be, basically.
1: Now that's that's really that's really good. And that's deep, I guess. You know, the it's like that feeling of, giving and you know the reward feeling that you get but do you do you get um sometimes like a feeling that because you enjoy what you do sometimes you just want to lay down but you know you have to record that episode because you feel like now you actually owe your audience content do do you ever have that feeling like you know you feel like you know your work is so meaningful to other people you feel like you have to give them this content consistently uh I don't know. How do you feel about that?
0: <laughs> yeah, very much so. It does happen. So you do sometimes feel guilty and I'm sometimes yes. I've had messages on people linked and a currently, boss wrong? You haven't made a video in a while. I'm like, okay, well, I need to do something. <laughs> but the way that I do it now is I build systems where I have uh, particular gaps or times of day, which is just content focused or just podcast focused. And then what I try to do, Rodney, you probably do this yourself. You try to record so much content so you're covered for a few weeks So even if something comes up in your life or your work, where then maybe, you know, for two or three weeks, you can't dedicate any time to that, you've got content in place. And I think that's what people need to do is make sure there's always a bank of content that's always there ready for you. So if anything happens in your life where maybe you can't commit the time, you can always go back to that bank effectively and then put it out there. So yeah, it does happen from time to time, but then I enjoy what I do. I don't really care that, you know, sometimes I have to sacrifice things, but you have to draw the lines at times. If there's a family birthday, I'm there. If there's a family <laughs> wedding, I'm there. You yes. have to be there, especially yes. especially in Rodney, our cultures. If somebody invites you to a wedding, you better be there. <laughs> you need to jump on a flight. You need to sacrifice your sleep. You have to be there. Yes, but then and you work around it. Definitely, I, I I
1: agree with you. I agree with you. And you know, talking about family and everything, um, you know, like how your grandfather came to to, to this country and what he managed to do for himself. And being there for these wedding events and all these family functions, and at the same time being able to still get the content out there because you know it brings a, a lot of value to people. You know, balancing all this, you know, it 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 kind of starts to make you feel more uh, good in a way. You feel like you're trying to get to the Level of um, I don't know, like self actualization, because if you you're working to improve yourself, you know, and you're trying to also improve other people's lives, and I, and from my side, I've been quite, um, well, the reason why what motivates me is obviously because you know I like medtech, but the reason why I really like medtech is because, you know, having growing up and seeing the gaps, the medical devices people didn't have and thinking that what should I do to sort of like bridge this gap of medical devices between developed nations and, and, and so-called undeveloped nations is what kind of drove me into R and D because I realized, you know, by pushing the technology forward, right. We essentially making it more accessible to people, you know, in, in, in remote places where otherwise the technology wouldn't have been there. But then getting that a bit of information and sort of like, you know, educating people and letting them know about what's out there, what's happening, you know, linked to this sort of like passion that I have kind of really excites me. And and I have to say, you know, sometimes I'm upset because I miss the odd family function because I'm literally in the UK by myself without my family here. And uh, uh, so when I get to go home once a year, I, I try to make sure that I go home when there's the most events happening. But if something happened, if like in a you know emergency or like a um a wedding or something happened I'll be on the, I'll try to be on the flight the next day to, to, to go home. So, um, I, I, I definitely, I definitely see your points and yeah, I'm just really grateful, you know, um, for just, you know, having this conversation with you today and, and I'm sure a lot of people are going to enjoy this conversation. So, um, yeah, so that's, that's about uh, everything that I had, uh, to say. And, uh, I don't know if you had something more to, to, to discuss, uh, Carinda.
0: Whatever it is you have in your mind and you're thinking about doing it, go out there and do it because the worst that can happen is you failed and you live a life without regret. If you are on your deathbed and you had these ideas and you didn't execute on them, you're always going to think, what could have happened if I tried it? Whereas if you failed, you can live with the satisfaction that you did. So for the listeners today, if there's something on your mind, go out there and try it. And if it doesn't work out, fine. Exactly.
1: There's some, uh, words of wisdom. Uh, and, and, and that makes sense, right? There's nothing to lose. And, you know, you should just try because at least even if you try, you can, you, you don't have to regret of, you don't have to say, Oh, I didn't try. You can only say, Yeah, you know, I tried and it didn't work out. And maybe something else will work out for me. So, so yeah. So thank you very much. And, uh, this, uh, episode, uh, will be uh, like obviously to be available on Matic 101. But uh, it will also probably be available on uh, Karen's uh, uh, channel as well. So, so yeah, Um, since it's a co-hosted episode, even though I was asking asked you a lot of questions, I really enjoyed it. Uh, you know, uh, I learned a lot today, and I hope you guys learned the same as well. So, yeah, thank you. And please subscribe to Karen Depp's uh, podcast. It's really good, really good guest there. So, yeah, thank you. Thank you very much for your time, Rodney.